0: okay well good evening we're glad that you've uh, joined us and we're trusting as once again we have the opportunity The privilege, it is a privilege always, to assemble with God's people, to study, to worship, and to uh, give God praise, glory, and honor. Uh, glad that uh, we have this chance to be together, and we invite you to get your Bibles and open to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew, chapter 28, chapter 28. We're going to look at the Great Commission according to Matthew. I'll be reading from the American Standard Version here in Matthew, chapter 28, uh, verses 18, 19, and 20. The text says, "...and Jesus came to them and spake unto them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And law I am with you always, even to the end of the world." Well, as verse 19 says, "...go and make disciples of all nations." The King James says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But really, the, I think the American standard, English standard, I think is, is more correct. But you can't make disciples without teaching, so uh, really no big problem there. But, but I, I prefer the, uh, the English standard or the American standard version, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's going to be our focus is the ideal of disciples. What's a disciple? What's that all about? And that's what we're going to be focusing about in our study here this evening and be thinking about that word disciple. When you look at the word disciple, or in the plural disciples, plural, uh, it is found 268 times in the New Testament. Anytime you find a word that's 268 times, it's definitely got to be important. I mean, all of what God says is important, but you find this word disciple 268 times, well, bing, 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 yep. Important. And indeed, as we will study some various texts on the topic of being a disciple, yes, we're going to see how greatly important that is. All right, go make disciples of all the nations. All right, first off, definition. In the definition, according to Mr. Strong, he says to become a pupil, transitively to disciple, that is, to enroll as a scholar, be a disciple. Uh, instruct, a learner, that is a pupil. So what do we learn? Is that basically fundamental in the word disciple is a learner, is a, is, is, a, is a pupil. You see, you have to learn, and then you follow. Sometimes you ask people, well, well, what's a, well, what's a disciple? Oh, well, that's a follower of Jesus. Well, that's true, but in the more basic fundamental definition, it is a learner, because you can't follow what you don't know. So you have to learn in order to follow. So learning comes first, and then following comes second. And so both, of course, are involved, but first and primary is the idea of being a learner. We, we are lear- we're learners of Jesus Christ. We are pupils. Uh, the, the, the ideal today, we'll, we'll call them students. Uh, generally, don't, well... <laughs> Sometimes, but generally we'll say the students at school, the pupils at school, but uh, more so uh, the the term we use today, students. We're, We're students of Jesus Christ. We're his students and we're his followers. Now, it's important what we learn. And it's also important to learn why we do what we do. Like, for instance, if you talk about the Lord's Supper, I mean, do you folks in the Church of Christ, do you all have the Lord's Supper, like how often is that? And everybody can say, yeah, we have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Okay, that's, that's what we do in the Lord's Church. We have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. We have the Lord's Supper. Sometimes I'll ask people, and i have ask various places around the world. Well, why? Why do we have it every first day of the week? And sometimes you kind of get this blank stare. Well, because God commands it. And I'll say, now where does God command for us to have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Where does God teach us that? And well, in the Bible. Well, where at in the Bible? And then they're kind of not really sure how to answer that. They know what to say, that we have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. That's correct. But why do we have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? And some, sometimes I'll hear responses. Oh, well, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10 talks about that. Or chapter 11 talks about that. First Corinthians chapter 11. I say, okay, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and show me exactly where it says that we're to have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And when they read it, well, it's, it's not there. It talks, as, it talks about, and uses the phraseology, for as often as you do eat this bread and uh, drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. All right. But it doesn't say how often in that text. The first day of the week is not mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we come to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. I'll prove an example of where Paul met with the early church on the first day of the week. When the disciples came together upon the first day of the week. So that identifies the when by necessary implication. How often does the first day of the week come? Well, every week. It's like the Sabbath command. In Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, it's necessarily implied that every week has a Sabbath. Well, every week has the first day of the week. So what do we have? Well, we have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Well, why do we have that? Well, because it's what the Bible teaches. Now, since we are students, learners of Jesus Christ, what is implied in that? I'll tell you what's implied in that is that it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take time. It's going to take meditation. It's going to take digging and searching and, and uh, being involved in learning what God's will is. I mean, I mean you know, there is an easy technique of learning the Bible. It's like take your Bible and you slide it under your pillow and the night you sleep on it and tomorrow you're just going to know more about Matthew or you're going to know more about Acts or you're going to know more about 1 Corinthians, etc. No, it's not how we get it. We got not do we got to be searching the pages. We come across words we don't know what they mean. we look up at the we got to look it up in the dictionary and find out the definitions. And that's what's involved. That's implied in being a student. It's our textbook. We've got to have our textbook. It's like kids that go to school. They need their textbooks. They're going to have notebooks, pencils, and papers. And they're going to have to study, and they're going to have to dig and search. And so it is if we're going to be students, disciples of Jesus Christ... We're going to have to do all that. Effort, work, time. And there's no easy way to do it. It, It's just going to take a lot of time and effort in being a student of the scriptures, a student of our master teacher, Jesus Christ. All right, so that's the definition of the word disciple. Well, let's talk about what a disciple is not. It appears when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there were probably some, I don't think all, but there was at least some, enough that Paul had to address this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And what uh, it seems that some of the brethren there at Corinth, maybe, maybe it was the majority, I don't know, but some of the brethren had the idea that, well, you know, we've been baptized, and, you know, we eat the horse supper every first of the week. And they thought that's sufficient. Is baptism important? Well, absolutely it's important. Jesus commanded it. Eating the Lord's Supper, is that important? Well, of course it's important. Jesus commanded this do, this do, and remembers me. Of course we're going to do it. But if we get thinking that as long as I've been baptized and I eat the Lord's Supper every first of the week, you know, the rest of it's okay. And Paul says, uh uh. There's more to being a disciple than just merely being baptized and merely eating the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And Paul uses the Old Testament to show that that thinking is not correct. I in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 1. He says, moreover, brethren, I want you to, uh, I I want you, I would not, I want not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So here's the people of God in the Old Testament. And the people of God in the Old Testament, they were baptized unto Moses Verse 3, and they did all eat the same spiritual food and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here they had their spiritual Lord's Supper, the people of God. They were baptized, the Moses, they had their spiritual Lord's Supper, verse 5, but with many. In fact, the majority of them. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So what do we learn? That it's going to take more than just being baptized and having the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. There's more to being a disciple than that. Is that part of being a disciple? Of course. That's what the Great Commission said. You go and teach, you go make disciples... And then baptize them. And then you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Not just merely observe the Lord's Supper, and if they d- d- at least do that, then it's all a okay. No. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. There's more to it than merely being baptized and particularly the Lord's Supper. That's, that's not what a disciple is. Now, when you turn to the Scriptures, we're going to look at a few passages that talk about some of the demands of a disciple. Let's consider there in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, there in verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews who had believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word. Now what's implied in that? Well, that you started in the word, and then continue in the word. You know, I can't exhort well, whoever. I couldn't exhort, you know, Kathy or, or Glenn or Randy. You know, continue on your trip to Louisville. Well, wait a minute, we're not, we're not going to Louisville. Well, then that would make no sense. So when Jesus says, continue my word, it's implied that they started in the word. And he's exhorting them to continue of learning, of seeking, of searching. Digging into the scriptures, learning these biblical concepts that you can know the truth and follow the truth and, and live the truth. Yeah, that's the demand of a disciple. That we've got to be a people of the book in reading, searching, digging, thinking, meditating, uh, remembering these concepts and, and looking how it fits in my life and, and in my situation in applying the Word of God in my circumstances. Yes, that's that's a demand of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not just pick and choose, you know, what we like. Well, I like this. Well, I don't like that. I'll just cast it aside. Now, the Bible's not like some, you know, going to some buffet smorgasbord. And you just pick and choose what you like, and the others you don't like, well, forget it. That's not the way it comes to uh, uh, following God and learning Jesus. We're... We're we're going to be a learner of all that God says. All that God says is important. Let's look over here in the book of Luke chapter 14. Talking about demands. And these demands, they're they're high. I'm not not going to pull no punches and and try to soft soap it and and try to smooth it over. Like There's no demands. There are demands and they are very high. You think about the demands of being a disciple. In Luke chapter 14, look there in verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. Wow, there you have it. Success, total success. Great multitudes are going with Jesus. Well, not necessarily. Could be, hopefully, but not necessarily. Jesus didn't say, Go into all the world and make a great multitude uh, gather together. I mean, we can do that. We can could, we could offer a $1,000. One lucky winner. are going to get $1,000. Just come and sit at, the, at the, you know, over here at 500 Richie Lane in the building for an hour, and We're going to draw uh, the winner for one lucky winner to re- receive $1,000. Well, you get a lot of people coming in. You know, just take an iron every time and, hey, might win a $1,000. bucks. You can get grand multitudes just have a giveaway and a lot of people uh, show up. Well, well. No. Let's look at what it says. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. So here's this great crowd, he turns, and he speaks to them. And in verse 26 he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, uh, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now is he saying literally hate? No. No. Then you look at other passages, the the concept of hate is the idea of love less. That is, we're to love the Lord more than mother and father, uh, husband and wife, children, brothers, sisters, grandchildren, uncle, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., even our own life. That is, we have to love God more than any human relationship. And what does he say? If we're not willing to accept this demand... He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. I mean, he just bluntly tells us, if you're not willing to accept this, hey, you're not going to be my disciple. I mean, you may, you may make the profession, you may claim to be a Christian, you may claim to be a follower of Jesus, but if you're not willing to meet this command, you, uh, this demand, this this teaching, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does he mean? To bear His cross, does that mean wear a little lapel pin with a cross on it or a necklace with a little cross on it? Is that that what he's talking about? No, it was a cross in the first century. The cross in the first century was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of capital punishment. The cross was to crucify people, to kill people, and to execute people. We're to take up the cross. That is, we're to crucify ourselves, our will, and our desires that the will of God might live within us. And whoever's not willing to bear his cross, that is to crucify themselves and their will, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Second time, Jesus says, hey, look, if you're not willing to meet this demand, you cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on to talk about counting the cost. He says, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sets not down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest perhaps, after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all behold, it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. It would be like starting a house. You buy a lot, and you pour the foundation. You run out of money, and there it sets. It sets, it sets, it sets. No more is done to it. And you think, well, that was a big waste of money. It's useless. What, to what benefit? Put all that money into buying the lot, putting the foundation, excavator, and then you don't finish it? No, you sit down and count the cost. And then he gives another illustration. Or oh, what king, going to make war against another king, sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that com- comes against him with 20,000, or else while he, uh, the others yet yet great, a uh, great way off, he sends a delegation and desires conditions of peace. And <laughs> if you do that... You're going to come out on the short end of the stick for sure. So, what is Jesus saying? You've got to stop and count the cost. That's what he's saying about being a disciple. We need to count the cost. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's the third time that he has said this. If you're not willing to meet these demands, you cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is not trying to discourage us. He's not trying to, but he's, he'd be in, He's being forthright. He's being upfront with us. That if we want to be a disciple, there's going to be some demands. And and they're pretty high and lofty, these demands that he's asking of us. And let's look at another text over here in the book of John chapter 6. In the gospel of John chapter 6, there in verse 60, it says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Oh, this is is so hard. I mean, who who can hear that? I mean, who who can accept this? And, of course, Jesus talks with them a little bit further about the matter. Dropping on down there in verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They just decided, you know, what he's asking us, what what these demands, they're just way too high. And so they just turn and leave. They head back to wherever. They head back to Lexington. They head back to Louisville. They're not going to be around here in Somerset any longer. We're getting out of here. They walk no more with him. Verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, the twelve apostles, Will you also go away? I mean, here you have these strongest people. You have these so-called disciples and off they go. Head off 27 north going out of town, leaving the Lord. What about you? What about you guys? And I love what Peter says. And he he says it exactly right. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are that Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no other one to turn to. There's no other person to turn to. There's no other organization to turn to. There's nothing else to turn to. If we we don't... Follow you, we're not going to get eternal life because only, only, only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Yeah, these, these demands are high and lofty. But where else can you go? What other option is there? There is not any. There's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus. Now, one more text on the demands of the disciple. This is the ultimate time, the last time that you'll find the word disciple in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 21 verse 16. I think it's an interesting, uh, when you look at the list, you get the concordance and you start and you come all the way and you get to Acts 21 verse 16. This is the last time you're going to find the word disciple in the New Testament. And it says, There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, And brought with him one Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple, with whom we should lodge. Other uh, versions will say, an old disciple. Or, yes, an old disciple. That is one of the first disciples. And what's the point? That you can always learn. Always. We always have the capacity to learn. I mean, the Bible is like that. You know, you can study it for years and years and decades and, you know, there's going to be something new there. There's going to be something that's going to be renewed in your mind. How often that we forget, need to be brought to remembrance. So we're always going to be studying. We're always going to be students of the scriptures as a disciple of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, the demands of being disciples are really, really high. But you know what? The rewards are much higher than the demands. And when we think about the rewards of being a disciple, it's going to give us the energy, it's going to give us the animation, it's going to give us the encouragement to, to meet these demands and to seek the Lord's help to meet these high and lofty demands of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is, to ponder about the rewards of a disciple. In Luke's account of the Great Commission, in Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. Uh, Luke's account records in the Great Commission. Uh, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. As you go forth making disciples, as you go forth teaching and preaching the gospel. Here's something that's going to move people to meet these high demands. They offer forgiveness. Pardon. Pardon, I mean, that, I mean, if you were in prison and somebody's talking pardon, which would mean that you would, you would be able to be, be released, a free man, a free woman out of prison. I mean, you, you talk to somebody in jail and you talk about pardon, it's like, whoa, that's like music to the ear. Spiritually, that, that's what it is for us. Here we are, we're under the burden and the weight of sin weighing us down, but we can be pardoned. Through Christ Jesus. What a lofty reward for the people of God. Look there in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, it's what we call the great invitation. Come unto me, Jesus says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here we are under the weight and the burden of sin. I mean, have you ever carried something really heavy? And you're, it, and you're carrying it, and you just come over and set it on the ground. I mean, how do you feel? It's like, oh, you feel relieved. What, what a relief that you could set that big, heavy thing down. Well, that's what it is, that we're laboring under the weight and the burden of sin. We come to Jesus, and he will give us rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yes, to be relieved from the great burden and the weight of sin. Forgiveness, pardon, remission of sins. I mean, does, isn't that appealing? That, that, that's what appealed to me to want to become a Christian. What a, what a tremendous reward for the disciple. Even though the demands are high, the rewards are Even much higher, and gives us great uh, encouragement to do that. Here's another reward the opportunity to be like Christ. Over in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, Paul talks about contrast. In verse 9, he says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. All right, so here's the old man lying, conniving, uh, immoral, wicked, corrupt. Under condemnation, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. You see, we can become a new man, a new creature in Christ. To become like Christ. We talk about the disciples were called Christians. The the word Christian, I think the literal concept is to be a little Christ. That is, we're all trying to look like Christ, to think like Christ, to act like Christ, to talk like Christ, to have priorities like Christ, be committed like Christ. And we have the opportunity to leave the ways of sin and wickedness over here and enter into a new life and to be like Christ. What a tremendous reward and blessing to be transformed. I mean, you think about Saul the persecutor. And he was converted to Jesus. he become the great, wonderful Paul the Apostle. And we talk about him. He, he wrote uh, almost half of the New Testament books that we know for sure. If you put in the book of Hebrews, then that would be over half. But he wrote almost half the New Testament books. He was used and, and his journeys are recorded for us. What a tremendous fellow. From being a persecutor to being a person who was a champion for Christ. What what, what an opportunity. And that can happen for any of us. And here's another reward. Is to think about John chapter 3, 16 and 17. We all know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. We already stood condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. But that the world through him might be saved. You see, when we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are going to be rescued from this old man of condemnation, of destruction, you know, heading for, heading for torment, everlasting punishment. We are rescued from that, which that would be great in and of itself, but then promised everlasting life, a home in heaven. A place of, uh, of glory, of a place where there's no sorrow and sickness, no death, no dying, no funeral homes, no hospitals, no doctors, no medicine. I mean, it's, it's just tremendous to think about everlasting life and the beauty and the glory of everlasting life. Yeah, that's, that, that is a reward of being a disciple. Certainly it would be uh, motivation to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, are you a disciple? You can be. You can be a disciple. How so? Well, by doing the will of the Lord. By stepping out on the promises of God. Stepping out and saying, yes, I want to be a Christian. I want to be this disciple. Only only you can answer that. Only you can make the decision about that. Now, we can help you to that understanding. And we're going to look here in Acts chapter 8. That shows us plainly how to get into Christ and become a disciple. It's the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. This, this eunuch, he had traveled like, like 1,200 miles on a chariot. And he goes to Jerusalem. I mean, tremendously, long way. And he's reading. He's on his way back and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip. He doesn't speak to the eunuch. And the angel speaks to Philip, but doesn't speak to the eunuch. Because God saw through the foolishness of preaching and Satan and the belief, human instrumentality, he directs Philip to go. And so they encounter one another. And it says that, well, do you understand? Well, how can, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he says, okay. Well, who's he talking about? And so it says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus preached unto him the Lord and Savior the sacrifice of Jesus Jesus died on the cross salvation in Christ Jesus his death his burial and resurrection the establishment of his kingdom and his rule and reign as the Messiah telling him about this glorious message of forgiveness the opportunity to to become a new man in Christ etc telling him about redemption and as they went on their way they came into a certain water and the eunuch said see here's water what does hinder me from Uh, being baptized and Philip said if you believe with all your heart you may and he answered and said I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God so here he had become a believer he hears this message said yeah this is this is it he believes it and what would hint well if you believe with all your heart you can and so he's willing to repent which of course was necessarily implied from Luke 24 that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name and he confesses his faith and say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So there's the step that brings you into this relationship in Christ. After hearing and believing, repenting, confessing, he's ready to be baptized. And that's exactly what he does. And when he come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. See, so he became a Christian that very day. He come up out of that watery grave of baptism, a new creature in Christ Jesus. And you can enjoy that same blessing also. Are you a disciple? You can be, just like the eunuch. It's the same process. You can read these kinds of conversions in the Bible. You read on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. We're baptized unto, uh, into Christ Jesus. You can do that. You can do that even this evening. We've got a pool of water. It's heated water, so it's warm and toasty. We've got garments for you to change into. Everything's made convenient. You can confess your faith before uh, men, plurality of human beings. You could do that this evening change your garments, and you could obey the gospel and become a Christian. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ, keep learning, keep following, keep learning, keep following, keep learning, keep following. And when the road seems difficult, just think about the rewards of being a disciple. And you can make it to heaven. You can, you can, through Christ Jesus. We can find victory in Christ Jesus. From yourself, from your own power and your own will, no, You're going to draw this energy from Jesus Christ. And you can be a disciple of the Lord and Savior. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, well, just follow the example of the eunuch there in Acts chapter 8. And if we could help you that in, you come and let us know. Hey, we'll help you to obey the gospel even this evening. And if you started, but then, well, you've kind of slipped up and fallen away, well, come back. Come back to the Lord. Through repentance and prayers, we read like... The the Simon the sorcerer who fell down uh, he came back and made things right so we're going to sing this song to encourage him if in any way anyhow we can help and assist you come and let us know while together as we stand and as we sing